Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible now, and we're going to have a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through to verse 25. It's going to be on the screen as well, but if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love to encourage you to open them up. Matthew chapter 1, picking it up at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ross, if we haven't met. And as it's been mentioned, we are starting a new series this morning, which is always exciting. Uh, So I'm going to pray now that God will help us to understand his word. And we might grow through our time together this morning, but also for the next six weeks or so as we look into who Jesus is. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we just thank you that you don't leave us guessing about you. You don't leave us distant and remote but you do speak to us. You do reveal yourself to us. So I pray that this morning that we will uh, draw, be able to draw near to you, to understand you better and to know you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it matter? So there's a time in history where people fought about what we think about Jesus, how we understand Jesus. There's a time when uh, in 325, so 325, you know, 100... 250 years after Jesus-ish, maybe 300 years. Uh, There was a guy called Arius of Alexandria. He came up with this idea that Jesus wasn't always God, but on that first Christmas night when Jesus was born, this is where the Son of God first existed. That from then on, he was known as the Son of God, which made him not equal to the Father God, but he was slightly lesser. But this is how we know God, through Jesus from the time of his birth. This upset a whole lot of people. All the bishops in the other churches got all upset and they wanted to discuss this. What do we as a church believe about what's in the Bible about Jesus? So, uh, Arius of Alexandra was called to a council. That's what churches do, they have councils. Uh, The Council of Nicaea, where all the bishops get together and this is where you might be familiar with one of the people there. There's a bishop called Nicholas of Myra. Nicholas uh, was later 
called Saint Nicholas or Saint Nick, which was later turned into, morphed into Santa. Saint Nick, Nicholas of Myra, was there. He was so offended at what Arius was saying that at one point he hopped down from his seat smacked, I'm not sure whether Saint Nick was wearing his uh, red outfit at the time, but he goes down onto the floor, smacked Arius in the face and knocked him to the ground. He was so passionate that he's not the Jesus I know. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. That story is a bit unconfirmed, uh, it, it, but it showed the height of their, their debate. What was confirmed that uh, Arius was uh, declared a heretic, he was chased out of town and later he was poisoned. Whether that had anything to do with it or not, you know, you've got to be suspicious. But people took this really seriously. Understanding Jesus matters. It's really important. Where today, we kind of go, well, what do you think about Jesus? Or what does it even matter? And we kind of go, well, you know, you can believe what you want to believe, I want to believe what I want. And if it's different, as long as we talk about Jesus, or it's a bit of a fairy tale anyway, does it really matter? Today, we're at the other end of the spectrum and go, well, you know, we're not too crazy on the idea. We don't pursue it. So in this series, Who is Jesus? Where, uh, we want to talk about this because we believe it matters. Here at Southside, we believe it's important in the Bible that we understand who Jesus is. So we want to spend six weeks or so investigating who is Jesus because we think it does matter. It does matter how we understand him and who he is. We want to take Jesus out of the, the fairy tale kind of storybook version of Jesus that doesn't really matter if I believe it or not. It's just a fanciful story uh, that some people take seriously. We want to take it from there into, oh no, we can, we can know that there was a point in time historically where God did come and walk with us and that's how we know God. We want to dig deeper into that. And we're going to do that through the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to spend the six weeks. And to, to, to move into that space, we need to understand Matthew, his, his setting and who he was. So for Matthew, he's a guy in the Middle East uh, in the first century. So our timeline, if you didn't know, timeline is based around the birth of Jesus. So first century, when Jesus was a young man, Matthew was with Jesus and then after Jesus had died, resurrected again, Matthew records his experience with Jesus. The interesting thing with Matthew is he's a Jew. And if you think through, if you know it all, who, who wanted Jesus dead the most? It was the Jews. They didn't like Jesus at all. So Matthew, a Jew, who spent his time with Jesus and convicted about his belief in Jesus, now writing to other Jews who probably was involved with killing Jesus, saying, this is my message, this is my experience, this is what I believe about Jesus. So he's, he's writing to them. Middle East in this culture, you guess it, if you've uh, got the image of Jesus as blonde hair, blue eyes, white skin, he's kind of not accurate, he's more Middle Eastern in appearance. Uh, and this is the, the groundwork, this is the setting. But there's also, when you're writing to Jews in the first century, They've got a long history and they take their history very seriously. So we just want to get our heads around what was going on for the Jews when Jesus turned up because they knew that they were expecting somebody from God. Jesus was always a part of God's plan. And we can take this right back 
to Genesis. Genesis, first book of the Bible. Uh, God alludes to, to sending someone who's going to, to stamp on the snake, the serpent who corrupted Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. But by the time we, get to, uh, got, we meet a guy in chapter 12 called Abraham, and God makes promises to Abraham that people place blessings. I'll make you into a great people, a great nation. I will give you a great place where you can dwell in safety. I'll, make, I'll bless you, make you a blessing to all nations. It's a big promise for this, this guy, Abraham. But as the journey goes on in Abraham's life, we see some fulfillment, but it's not really working out until um, it, it's indicated to him. It's not just for him, but his family and what, what they call his seed. Seed just means your son or the next generation. So it's going to be. So we see Abraham, the promise is there, but it's not fulfilled. But what about his son? Well, yeah, but no. What about his son? Yeah, but no. And they go into all these ups and downs of how is God going to fulfill his promise. They end up getting in slavery in Egypt. You kind of go, I don't know whether this promise is going to exist. It's going to come through. But God saves them from slavery. We see some high points with people like King David. King David stones Goliath. He, he conquers the other nations, makes this massive empire. He writes some of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. And then he gets to the point, he goes, I want to build a temple for God, where God can dwell with us. And God says, ah, hang on a minute. That's not your, you're doing a great job, David, but this is for your son to build me a temple. Your seed will build me a temple. So that's where Solomon comes in, builds a temple. But God also says at that point, hang on, David, I just want to assure you that your throne, your kingly throne, will last forever. And there's somebody from your line, your seed, will remain on the throne forever. Oh, all of a sudden, this promise just got a whole lot bigger. Then there's all these ups and downs. They get kicked out of the land. They disobeyed God, got kicked out of the land, went to Babylon in slavery again and scattered uh, so we have Abraham, sorry, Abraham. We have Egypt. We even have uh, building the temple in Jerusalem. All those things across the timeline that God's making promises. But then uh, we come to a time where God just pours out these promises. What this is going to look like, he tells the prophets. Before I get to that, I just want to just divert just a second because sometimes we, we hear these stories and uh, if you've got a kid's story Bible, you kind of go, oh yeah, nice story because we're seeing them in cartoons that, that did this really happen? Did this really exist? just want to assure us that historians and archaeologists don't argue with a lot of these big events. So this is a stone that was dug up from the Babylonian times, uh, 600 BC, uh, which talks about Nebuchadnezzar plundering Israel took a great plunder from them, which is how the Bible recorded. it. We go back even further, uh, and on this tablet they found a king, this is going back to the 9th century BC, a king saying how they conquered the house of David. Because most of the things you write about are your victories. So he's saying, hey, we conquered the house of David, going back to the 9th BC. There's even uh, a tablet found in Egypt uh, that dates back to 1200 BC, talking about uh, referring to Israel. And it actually says in here, which is kind of more interesting, um, Israel, quote, Israel is wasted, its seed is not. It's like the Egyptians going, hey, we've wiped out the Israelites. And you almost kind of got to wonder, did they know about the promise of this seed? And going, no, no, we're not afraid of that God, we've squashed it. 
But that was 1200 BC, but yet God's promises continued. So we can have assurance that all this stuff, they're not just storybooks, they actually happened in history. And the historians and archaeologists actually help us to date when these things happen. So don't be afraid of that stuff. It's there. But then God uh, shows what this, how this promise is going to be fulfilled, how his promised king who's going to sit on the throne, bring blessings to all nations, how it's going to happen. In Micah 700 BC, so this is in the Old Testament, Micah, a prophet, says his birthplace will be Bethlehem. Isaiah 500 BC, he'll be, bo- uh, he'll be born from a virgin. Um, that's narrowing it down, narrowing the field down, who to look for. Isaiah uh, again, 500 BC, talking about someone's going to come to prepare the way for this Messiah. Messiah just means king or God's king or God's anointed one. Malachi says the same thing. Somebody's going to come preparing the way for Jesus. The interesting thing about Malachi, it's 400 BC, and Malachi's the last prophet to speak into this space, and then there's nothing. God's saying, I'm sending someone. He's going to be on the throne. He's going to be the Messiah, the king, the great one. It's going to bring blessing to all nations. It's going to be awesome. But from, from Malachi, there's just this waiting game, waiting for the Jews, waiting for their, their Messiah to come. I hate waiting for my coffee in the microwave. I just watch the seconds tick down because I, I want it. I'm anxious. But yet these guys are waiting years, hundreds of years, generations for this promise to come through. They're waiting. This is why Matthew starts Matthew with a genealogy. Because Jesus has always been a part of God's plan. He's promised it's going to come. Matthew 1 verse 1. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Back further, the son of Abraham. It's like alarm bells are going off here. This guy qualifies. Remember all those promises that were made to a Jew I mean, for us, we want to say, Matthew, just cut straight to the miracles, straight to the teaching. We want to see Jesus in action. But for a Jew, it's like, hang on, let me have your attention. This is the one. This is the man. It's always been a part of God's plan. This is the one you've been waiting for. Now, Jesus was no surprise. Often we think Jesus just popped up in the middle of nowhere. Now, I know what it's like to wait. Uh, I am expecting uh, an expecting grandparent, a grandfather, and you would know if you've seen Ashley around, uh, she's getting to the point where she can't hide her pregnancy. Um, If you say to her, you're just like your dad because he's got the tummy. She's outgrown me now, I'm pleased to say. She's not just like a dad. She's very pregnant. Uh, I even have an app on my phone, an app on my phone that tells me uh, she's due in 40 days and the baby is the size of a rock melon. Would you believe? That's exciting. A rock melon. That's cool. Uh, we also know it's a girl. I know all this stuff. But I'm just waiting. Can't wait to meet her. Just waiting for the day. The expectation. It's great. This is the situation Israel's in. They know all about this Messiah. But they're waiting. When is he going to come? And Matthew's saying, genealogy, oh, boring. No, it's here. He's come. All those promises, all that waiting, he's come. The Messiah has finally come. But he also says, you've got to check this other stuff out. Because then he goes on to say, Jesus, the man is here. The man is here. Because he goes on, verse 18, after the genealogy, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, she hadn't been with Joseph, so it means she's a virgin and she's pregnant with this Messiah. This should be another uh, thing to go, hang on a minute, this is what was prophesied. She, he would be born of a virgin. He is a virgin, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It's like, bing, another clue who he is. In fact, uh, Matthew makes it so obvious. Uh, he says in a few verses later, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. Remember, like he just wants to make it really explicit. Remember what was said. Don't be surprised. He's here and this is how it happened. This is awesome. But then, Chapter 2, this is chapter 1 that he's focusing on. Chapter 2, he'll go on to say that, oh, Mary gave birth to, to Jesus in Bethlehem. Then, bing, this is what the prophet said. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, you could flick open. He talks about John the Baptist. John the Baptist has come, this guy's come to prepare the way for the Messiah, just like the prophets had said. It's like first three chapters, I just want to lay out for you, this is the man, the one that we've been waiting for. It's no surprise, but Jesus ticks all the boxes. He's here. But the second thing to notice, he's not just the man, but he's also, he's God. See, he's just like us in his humanity. He has a family tree, he has a mum, he, he was given birth to, just like us. Very human, but there's more to him. He's also God. Uh, now, this uh, bit of information in the following verses might be a bit too much information if you want to put your hands over your ears. Uh, but Matthew seems to think it's important for us to know about Joseph and Mary's sex life. So we've got to go there. Uh, verse 16, we're told how they didn't uh, sleep together before they were married. She fell pregnant. But then Matthew wants, to, wants us to also know Joseph took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage. They didn't sleep together until she gave birth to a son. Why is this important? He wants to be very clear, wants us all to know, there is no chance that Joseph is the father. No chance. In fact, it's God. It's God the one who did this miracle in her life through the Holy Spirit. It's God. God's the father of this child. Matthew wants us to, to be very clear on that. Now, I've got to say, if you are Matthew, right? You're Matthew, you're a Jew, You've heard all this stuff about Jesus. You've seen it from him. You've talked, uh, probably talked to Mary about this stuff as well. And you want to write a letter to convince your fellow Jews that this is, this is it. You'd be kind of thinking, this is a bit hard to believe, isn't it? That a virgin come and talk. Even the whole bit about uh, an angel coming to talk. Yeah, you know, all this, it's a bit like you're waiting for the angel to pull out a glass shoe for Mary, to put a glass shoe on for her to go off to the ball in her pumpkin carriage. It's a little bit like, would it have more credibility to actually leave this detail out? Because it's going to destroy. People are going to read this bit and go, this is a joke, I'm not reading any further. But he goes, nah, I'm going to put this in. Even though it's unusual, it's not normal, I'm going to put it in. In fact, that's the point. This is not normal. This is not your usual story. If God, the creator of the universe, uh, was going to enter into creation, if he just snuck in and just, hey, I'm here, you'd be kind of asking more questions, wouldn't you? 
Who are you? What, what credentials have you got? There'd be more doubts, more questions. But yet what Matthew is saying, this is an incredible story with an incredible experience because it's incredible that God would come into our world. He actually includes it saying, you could laugh at me, but I'm telling you, this is what God does. He doesn't do the normal, the usual, but he wants attention that God is here. And it's even messy. He even shows how Joseph didn't believe it at first. Joseph, what, did, what was his reaction? Wanted to divorce Mary. I'm not marrying her, she's pregnant. It wasn't me. I'm just going to do it quietly, nobody will notice. I'm out of here. It's a very messy story. And I think Matthew shows the messiness of it because it is unusual. He's not expecting everybody to go, yeah, of course it was going to happen. Of course it was going to be like that. It's kind of saying, of course, this is unusual. It had to happen in an extraordinary event. God entering our world. And it's also brought out the fact in, um, sorry, it takes us out of the fairy tale into reality. That it is not just the fairy tale. He's saying, believe it. It's unusual. But it's unusual that God would enter our world. But he also goes on to say, this is why Jesus was named the way he was. Uh, this is the angel talking. She will give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. This is radical. He'll save a man from their sin. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's like, Attention, everybody. God, creator of the universe, is here with us, walking our streets, eating our food, talking to us. This is God. This is God. This is incredible. And you know what this means? And this kind of gets filled out with the rest of Matthew and the rest of the New Testament. He's not just God all of a sudden existed, like Arius suggested. It's like if this guy is really God, He's always been. He was with God the Father and the Holy Spirit when the promises were made to David, even back to Abraham. Colossians says Jesus was around at the creation of the world. Even the world was created through Jesus. He's always been there. So the fact that God himself, who's been around forever, that was always the plan to come and walk with humanity, always the plan that he would come and save humanity, should be no surprise. All of a sudden, he's, he's here. This is big. It's a big moment in history that Jesus is fully man. We've got to hang on to that one. We're going to fight about that one. He's fully man. But at the same time, we cling on to he's fully God. It's fully God with us. What that means for me is uh, for me growing up, I grew up uh, in a Christian household, Christian family, went to church every Sunday. I grew up uh, hearing all these names in the Bible. There is Abraham's, the David's, lots of cool stories. There's this guy called Jesus. Jesus was another character in the story of the Bible. The different thing with Jesus, he died on a cross and was raised to life again. That's a bit different, but he's just another character. It wasn't until I was 15 at a youth camp when I, the penny dropped that Jesus was really God and he really walked this earth and he really come for me to die for my sin. Not just a cool trick about being dead and resurrected again, but he was actually dying my death 
to give me life. That changes everything. The Bible is not just a history book where we can learn some details. It's not a storybook where just lots of cool stories we can learn things from. It's actually the story of God reaching out to humanity and changing us. That he would, the God himself would come and sacrifice himself for me. You know, the God we sing to, the God we pray to, the God that feels like he's out in a distance, that he would give his life for me, for us. It's real. And this whole tension of Jesus' humanity and divinity gets picked up in the Gospel of John. John is another disciple and he's writing what happened. And he's telling the story about how the disciples wrestled with this. What does it mean that Jesus is man and, and God and that he died and rose again? And he tells the story of Thomas. Now, the disciples are like us. They've got lots of questions. Like, what do we make of this? It was God does stuff in unusual ways. And you have to wrestle with it. So this guy Thomas is like, I'm not sure whether I believe Jesus is raised from the dead. Surely if you saw him, maybe at best it's a spirit or a ghost that we might have seen. But, but we pick it up, John chapter 20, verse 27, where Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, the hands that had the nails in, through his hands when he was on the cross and the scars. Reach your hand in and put it into my side because he had a sword put into his side to make sure he was dead on the cross. Stop doubting and believe. Now, what was going on for Thomas? Surely he's going, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe it was a ghost, a spirit. But Jesus is going, no, no, touch me. I'm real. He's going, man, wow, you're not a spirit. You're not a ghost. He didn't just say, wow, you're really human. You're really man. He doesn't just say that, but he realizes, hang on, if you're a man, men don't get raised from the dead. You might see a ghost, that's a possibility. But men don't get raised from the dead. That's why he says, my Lord and my God. He doesn't say, man, that's a cool trick. He says, man, you are Lord and God. Because Jesus the man has been raised again. Only, only God could defeat death. Jesus both God and man. See, it's, it's knowing that Jesus did this, having assurance that he is both man, but he is God, that changed my world. It took Jesus from being a character into someone that I can have a relationship with, that I can know, that he is uh, someone who's gone through, he's in the line of David and Abraham, he's gone, he's sitting on the throne for all eternity. He is the Lord and King that I can trust, that I can trust so much that I no longer have to fear death because I know he's beaten death. I can look forward to, I long to, eternity where I can be with him uh, in heaven, to be with God in heaven, where there'll be no tears, no sadness, but that's true life, to be with him. We can know, we can trust him, that the God of the universe has reached out to us and invited us into that. This is the message of Matthew. You can know God through Jesus. That's his invitation. That's my experience, and I want to invite you into that as well. If you're, if you're wrestling with all these questions about who Jesus, talk to Ben, sign up for the Alpha course, do it that way, but also be on the journey with us for the next six weeks to go, let's dig a bit deeper. What is it about Jesus that he is different and that he can give me life? That's my prayer for you. Let me pray. Dear Father, I thank you that 
that you do make it clear to us, that you do reach out to us. We thank you that we can have assurance that, that you're not just a fairy tale that someone made up, somebody sat down one day and wrote this long book and this long story just to influence millions of people. No. That through history you've been at work through your people. At history, your plan of salvation has been unfolding. And Lord, we just thank you that we can be sitting here today, 2,000 years later, with all the information we have to know that we can trust you and trust you into the future. We just pray for everyone here, Lord, that we would uh, sit up, pay attention and know who you really are so that we might find life in him. Help us to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.